okay corral there the outlaw band make their final stand okay Uh, all right. Well, that was the opening music to Gunfight at the OK Corral, released in 1957. And that opening music was by the incomparable uh, Dmitry Tiomkin. Did I say that right? You did. He did a lot of these uh, up, upbeat uh, film scores. Well, I was looking at his page on IMDb. He did a he has 143 credits for the music department, and then he's got a hundred and got to scroll down. It takes a little while. 149 soundtrack credits and 126 composer credits. So that I think is the definition of a working musician. No kidding! I had no idea with that many. Well, it's also the, the case with uh, the director of our film, John Sturgis. He worked all the time. Yeah, you were saying before we got started that maybe we should uh, take a break from John Sturgis because we've watched a few and we could move on to something else maybe. He's got 45 director credits. Yes, I, I saw that yesterday and we reviewed McHugh and uh, Bad Day at Black Rock. I think those are two of his. Yeah, Bad Day at Black Rock is on there. Gunfight at the OK Corral, The Magnificent Seven, and McHugh. There's a few more on here that we could maybe get around to watching at some point in the future, though. Shall we do our intros? We should. Yeah, we should tell people who we are. Uh, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from Portland, where we had a huge snowstorm. I think it would be the appropriate time to use the word snowpocalypse, uh, but downtown Portland, where I'm at, has close to a foot of snow and it's still snowing so that's kind of fun i'm um, bob johnson in los angeles where our weather pattern for the last several days has been like seattle's with lots of rain and in the northern part of the state lots of flooding we're i think getting through the drought i hope um you can reach us to listen to our podcasts at uh, three different locations one is on i itunes uh if you look up classic movie reviews, you'll find us there. And then we have our own website, www.classicmoviereviews.net. And you can find us on Facebook, where we have been receiving lots of comments, which uh, we appreciate and uh, hope that people will continue to send them in. Our upcoming movies will be based on some of the suggestions that we've had on our Facebook page. Yeah, so we thought we'd switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Time to take a break from John Sturgis. Yeah, so uh, one suggestion was No Way Out, and uh, you've seen that, and that would I have not, so that'd be a great one to review next. And then after that, I think we will do Oliver, which neither one of us has seen that movie, and I believe it's a musical. I think so. I think it's a musical of Oliver Twist, but I may be wrong on that. So that'll be fun, because it's always kind of interesting when we both have not seen the, the film. I... A lot of times you've seen the movie, or you you know you actually went to it in the theater, and it's sometimes the first uh, viewing for me. That would certainly be true for today's review, Gunside at the OK Corral. It came out in May of 1957, and I would have been at that theater in May of 1957 to see it. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie definitely has like an epic scope, you know, feeling to it. Uh, it's filmed in Vista Vision. You know, I love those uh, 
the brands that they had for their different widescreen formats back then. It's kind of like all the different surround sound formats or 3D formats that we have now. I think we've talked about that as well in the past, but uh, I, I always like it when it comes up and it's like VistaVision or CinemaScope. And I watched this one, I bought it on iTunes, and the transfer was fantastic. I mean, it was really clear. It, it looked looked really good the color was really good so uh definitely worth the 12 dollars for that for that one the music is perfectly matched to show the drama and excitement of this film as they go riding over the range every time they go riding somewhere the music uh is perfectly matched there so i really like that a little bit of well and i i noticed uh, just one quick oh, thing sure. on that opening shot when they're riding through the range uh yeah i loved the scenery but then they came up to that that fence where they had to, you know, pull up one of the stakes to get through on their horses. Yes. And you could tell that they were kind of not good people because they didn't put that fence back together when they got through. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's the three guys that were coming to get Doc Holliday. Yeah. But I just noticed that the, uh, you know, the polite thing to do would be to get off your horse and put that back together, but they just rode right on through. So I thought that was an interesting little hint that these were sort of the bad guys. Boy, and uh, one of them, Lee Van Cleef, paid for that when he got a knife in the back. He did. <laughs> he looked so young in this movie. I, it took me a minute to recognize him. I know. I love. I, that's part of the reason I love some of these old movies. Is you see these... Uh, like this morning on Turner Classic Movies, Forbidden Planets on, Ooh. And, and Earl Holloman is on. He looks like he's about sixteen years old. And he's another actor in, in this. Yeah, another actor in this movie that I noticed was so young. He looked like he was about fifteen. Was Dennis Hopper? Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, a little bit about the movie. It was made uh, in uh, nineteen fifty-seven, distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was very successful at the box office, made a lot of money. I never trust the figures that I get because I, I don't know if they're in 1957 dollars or current dollars. I think these are the original box office amounts. It was made for $2 million and it made $11 million on its initial release. Not bad. Um, it's interesting, the, uh, the uh, screenplay was written by Leon Uris, who has a wonderful book that he wrote, Exodus, about the uh, formation of the state of Israel. And that is another excellent movie that Paul Newman and many others are in from a little bit later in the 1950s. So that's a bit about the, uh, the background on the film. I don't think I'm forgetting anything there. Uh, I, I found an interesting poster uh, where they they uh, put a poster together for Paramount that has both the gunfight at the OK Corral and another movie of John Sturgis, Last Train from Gun Hill. And they must have paired them up at some point as a double feature. There's a lot going on in this film. I, I kind of did a linear uh, review of it, and, and uh, it kind of wanders all over the place at the beginning where Lee Van Cleef comes in and Doc Holliday is uh, warned that, that uh, there's going to be trouble. Oh, come on, honey. Let's cut out of here while there's still time. The whole town, including that no-good marshal, is laying for you. Right or wrong, they're going to hang you for another killing. You know it. 
dark. Oh, he ain't even listening to me. Now, Kate, Mr. Bailey came all the way from Fort Worth to see me on a gentleman's matter. Gentleman? It wouldn't be hospitable for me to leave town now, would it? Oh, don't start that gentleman business with me again. Well, it's a pure case of ethics, but... <laughs> well, that's something a person like you wouldn't understand. Why do you always have to treat me like I'm dirt? You ain't no better than me. That's debatable. Oh, is it? You and that magnolia dripping. Well, let me tell you something, Doc Holliday. All them fancy clothes and that smart talk don't make you no gentleman. You are dirt, just like me. And I'm tired of hearing about that Georgia plantation and all them lily white friends of yours. They're all gone now. They're all gone. Yes, they are. It, it takes probably, what, three-fourths of the movie before we get to the actual gunfight at the OK Corral. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, an, it was about 90 minutes in, and it's, a, it's about a two-hour movie, so it doesn't really get to that, uh, the gunfight until, yeah, way into the film. And I was thinking about that, and I was, I was, it was interesting. I wanted to talk to you about the character development in the movie because it really seems like it's not so much about the gunfight at the OK Corral. Because, I mean, honestly, I was kind of, I wasn't bored during that part of it, but it just seemed like another gunfight because we've seen so many gunfights uh, in different movies. But what really drew me in was that relationship between the two lead characters and. Um, you know, Doc Holliday and uh, Wyatt Earp. And they really spend, I mean, the movie is really about sort of that relationship. And the last scene of the movie is is the two of them. It really is that way. And uh, there's another movie that came out about 10 years later uh, that I think John Sturgis also directed with James Garner and Jason Robards Jr. And it takes, it takes up where the gunfight at the OK Corral has occurred, and then it goes on into the future after that. Uh, it's almost like a sequel to this film. And very little... Oh, man, uh, it would be like from 1967. That sounds super interesting. Um, Hour of the Gun? Hour of the Gun, that's the one. And it, it, take, it starts with the gunfight at the OK Corral, and then progresses... Uh, forward and has many of the same characters and James Garner is playing Wyatt Earp and Jason Robards Jr. is Doc Holliday and uh, Robert Ryan is Ike Clanton and I believe it was John Sturgis that did that one. Yeah, he did direct it, 1967. Yeah, it's got a great poster, man. It's almost like um, he decided I want to do, I want to take off from where it ended in Gunfight the OK Corral. You know, I read about the the uh, the real gunfight at the OK Corral. It took place out in back of the OK Corral, and it said in my reading that it only lasted about thirty seconds, and there were just small handguns being used, not the shotguns and rifles and everything that was in this one. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of firepower in this one. I should. It, last, it lasted for I don't know, 15, 20 minutes maybe. Something like that. You know, I, I need to do a count. Uh, I should do a count on how many films have been made about the gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, a favorite of mine was from about the late 1940s, My Darling Clementine. 
with with uh, Henry Fonda, Victor Mature, Linda Darnell, and it takes it's the story of the gunfight at the OK Corral with Walter Brennan playing the Ike Clanton character. I mean, I think there must be two dozen films about this, at least. But it's an enjoyable film, isn't it? Wow. It is. It really is. Uh, I kept thinking about that later film from the, I think it's the 80s, Tombstone. Yes, yes. My son went through a phase where he watched that movie, I think, like six times. He and his friends just loved that movie. Let's see. Who plays? uh, Wyatt Earp is played by Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, and then Dennis Quaid is... uh... No, no, no. Dennis Quaid is in it, but um, Val Kilmer. Yeah, Val Kilmer plays Doc Holliday, and and man, I, I I really like that movie too. It's kind of a more gritty take on it. And I can't remember. I think that takes place after the gunfight at the OK Corral as well. That's almost incidental to that movie's story, though. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's it's funny too because in the I noticed that when they were getting to that part of the movie. Uh, oh, gunfight at the OK Corral that they had quite a few shots of the sign that says OK on it you know it's like they really wanted you to know that OK this is coming up we're at the OK Corral there's no mistaking that this is where we're going to have the gunfight we're finally we're finally going to get you there um, there was one part of the film that I, 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 I even when I saw it when I was between my sophomore and junior year in high school I didn't care for. Uh, I, I, I was troubled by the relationship between Kurt Douglas's character and Joe Van Fleet, the woman that's his uh, uh, partner. I, I, I just felt like, really, you have to treat her this way? I mean, I, I, well, the very first scene with uh, Doc Holliday, he, I mean, basically is like choking her and yeah, and and hitting her, and then. There's a later scene uh, when she comes, they've split up, and then she comes back into town. Yeah, it was after the gang had killed uh, Wyatt Earp's brother. Then Doc Holliday goes to her because she's kind of shacked up with, what's his name, Ringo? Ringo. Ringo. Yeah, Ringo. Played by John Ireland. There was a moment there where I thought that he was going to rape her. Start talking, Kate. I don't know nothing about it. Talk. Why? What difference does it make now? I sure messed everything up real good, ain't I? I wanted you back. Because I love you. And I I, I thought if Wyatt was out of the way, you'd come back to me. That, that's why I kept quiet when I, when I heard them. I, I must have been out of my mind. Where? The Clanton Ranch. Who was there? I didn't want that boy to be killed. Who was there? Pike, Finn, Cotton Wilson, the McLowrys. And Ringo? Was Ringo there? Yes. And who was there? Don't duck. Don't duck. Oh, please don't duck. Duck. Ah! 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 Ah
I thought this is this is not the kind of movie where that's going to happen, but that's really what it felt like was going to happen. And I, I was uncomfortable with that whole that whole scene, and yeah. that relationship was really screwed up. I don't know. I don't know the point of all that in the film. I I never quite understood that. Uh, other than that, though, I, I I did I did I do like the film a lot. And did you notice DeForest Kelly is one of the Earp brothers? Before Man, he I did. Star Trek. <laughs> he's so he's so uh, yeah. I saw that character in Star Trek. Uh, Doc, what's his name? Doc Bones. 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 Right? Yeah. Bones, but yeah, he he was good in the movie. I mean, he was he's very good actor. So Clanton's been rustling Mexican cattle by the thousands, and he has to move them. I can only ship them out of Tombstone, and he can't do that while we control the city. That's about it. He's organized and he's mean. We can't keep him out of Tombstone forever. What about the people at Tombstone? John Clum, editor of the Epitaph, and some of the leading citizens will back us if they know you're calling the shots. We're all agreed, Wyatt. You should run the show. There's only one thing that bothers me, and I'm going to speak my piece now. There's going to be a lot of bad talk about you riding with Doc Holliday. What about Holliday? He's the worst killer on the frontier, that's what about him. And it just don't look good you coming here with him. Holiday saved my life in Dodge City. I don't forget that. What's more, he's a man of his word. As long as he plays his cards straight and keeps out of killings, we got no right to run him out of town. I didn't know you two were a team. We're not. It's just a case of square deal. Holiday stays. All right, Wyatt. He's your responsibility. That suits me fine. But to me, it really uh, was so clear that Burt Lancaster and Kurt Douglas really, when they're on screen... They are such a commanding presence, and when they're on screen together, wow, that's that's a great pairing. It is, and they, I think they made I think they made like seven or eight movies together in this kind of a relationship. Um, one that we haven't reviewed is uh, is very good from the sixties. Seven Days in May involves a coup d'état, and Burt Lancaster is a general that that. Uh, wants to wants to take over the uh, U.S. government. Oh, right. It's kind of like they like a, they're going to have a revolution or something. Yes. Yeah. 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 They do. They do fill the screen when they're when they're on on the board. Um, the plot takes us all over the West. We're in Kansas. We're in Tombstone. I think it starts off in another town. Let me think here. Oh, yeah. It starts out in Fort Griffin, Texas. Then they move to Dodge City, and then they move to Tombstone. And it makes it seem like you can just do those trips, you know, like a day trip. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That'd be like me getting on a horse and, and riding over to a Denver. Yeah, and at the very end, Wyatt Earp <laughs> is going to drive a ride out to California, and I'm thinking, he's got no pack or anything. He's just going to, he just rides off into the sunset with his horse. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, going to go meet up with his, his uh, girlfriend, Laura Denbo. And it, it turns out he came out to Los Angeles and, and had a, a career in, in a film. He, he didn't die until 19, I think it was 1929. He was, he was quite elderly at that time. And they made a movie about him when he was out here again with James Garner and Bruce Willis. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> where, where they're 
in the 1920s fighting bad guys in Hollywood in silent films. Oh, my gosh. The name of which I can't remember, but I've seen it. It came out in the 1980s. That's so cool. Um, yeah, the, the, I noticed the not only the traveling around to different cities, but the sets were so cool. Um, they were all different kinds of like hotel rooms and bars and the lighting was always like perfect there. <laughs> I was thinking about that later tombstone movie and how the lighting has really changed in terms of kind of how they light the sets for different types of films. And there was one scene when uh, Burt Lancaster's kind of scoping out the okay corral and he comes upon a lamp, like an oil lamp and he lights the lamp and simultaneous to him putting the match into the lamp, you could tell that they flipped on the the, the set lights, mm-hmm. but you know, and they but they make it look like it's supposed to be coming from the lamp, uh, but really it's not. I was really watching the the sets and the lighting and how well that was done. Well, the, the set pieces were, were were pretty elaborate, you know, and they didn't have the use of those cameras that today they can roam all over and they they. Uh, are they're pretty still in their in their motion. Well, and that also can film in low light, right? Like yeah, um, yeah, that was cool. And then I, I did notice one thing that in 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 the several of the different hotel rooms they had like these uh, paintings on the wall, and that's something that hasn't changed. Where you go to a hotel room and they've got some sort of like <laughs> <laughs> stock photo or you know mass produced painting on the wall. It might be the same. It might be the same paintings from eighteen. It, it, they look like they could be. <laughs> one of the one of the in the early part of the film when they're in Dodge City, and Holiday comes to Wyatt's uh, rescue. When the guy uh, Shanghai Pierce shows up with his cattle drive, and his sidekick is Ringo. I love that name, Shanghai Pierce, played by Ted DeCorsia. <laughs> Shanghai. Well, now my day is complete. You and me are gonna settle for this scar you gave me in Wichita. And buckle your guns, boys, and come on down to the calaboose with me. You better start praying, Herb. You pulled your last bluff. Start thinking straight, Shanghai, before you get into too much trouble and you can't get out of it. Let's work them over, boss. That's a real good idea. Maybe your friends would like to see how tough you really are. I'd like to see you do a dance, Marshal. That's mighty brave talk, Shanghai, with 20 men behind you. Let's you and me step out into the street alone. Oh, no. You don't sucker me into that. Can't bluff your way out, huh? All right, boys. Take this skunk. You gentlemen made such a racket, Frank Loving was too scared to deal. You busted my winning streak. One's over, boys. Unbuckle them. Let's shoot it out. All right, Shanghai. Go ahead, draw. All of you. But you get it first, Shanghai. And you second, Ringo. Well, call the play. I'll give you five seconds to unbuckle your guns. One. Two. Three, four, 
We had enough fun, boys. I'm buckling. Harry, Jackson, get in the hardware. Get over. Dark! Anybody else want to try their luck? They're going to ruin the bar. <laughs> but it doesn't work out. Yeah, that was a good scene. But, you know, it's interesting. When Wyatt Earp shows up, man, the whole place goes quiet. Yeah. I wonder if it was really that way in, in, in real life. I, I guess we'll never know. But he, he certainly, I mean, he, how many different TV shows have been made about him? He's a legend. I mean, it's oh my. Well, I was I was thinking about that relationship between Kurt Douglas and uh, his girlfriend. Was it Kate Fisher, played by Joe Van Fleet? Yes, that that's yes. Yeah, that's her. I, I think I think what they wanted to do is like really set up uh, Doc Holliday as a as a very flawed character. Kind of came from good family, but then they lost everything in the Civil War, and. Um, so he, you know, his parents scraped together everything they could to send him off to dental school, and and so he was a dentist for a while. Uh, but, you know, between the drinking and getting sick, and who knows what else happened, you know, he just kind of became known as like the deadliest gun in the West, right? That's what I read. Yes. Yeah, he had yeah. tuberculosis. Yeah. Wow. But it's but it was interesting that the that that him and Wyatt Earp in the movie at least like hooked up and became kind of partners but it but but Wyatt Earp was really clear on saying that it was it was uh it wasn't anything more than just straight dealing I think is what he said he had a he had a word when he was talking to his brothers about how they were going to defend you know the, the county I, I also love the scene where Wyatt uh, uh, is kind of on his own because the deputies have gone out to find another bad guy so he needs a partner to go out and search for some Another bad guy that killed a cashier at a bank, so he holiday offers to help him, and, and uh, Wyatt Earp is about to give him the oath, and then he, he starts to guess, oh, why bother? Hold up your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to uphold? Oh, this is ridiculous. You're deputized. Grab some gear, I'll get the horse. Wait a minute, don't I get to wear a tin star? Not on your life. That's a great, that's a great line. Yeah, he was going to deputize him, but he's like, oh, what the... It does have a lot of good lines in it. Well, one of the most powerful scenes for me was at the very near the end when um, the character played by Dennis Hopper, uh, Billy Clayton, was kind of holed up in that upper story of that little photo um, photography shop. Yep. Wyatt Earp kind of walks in and he's like begging Billy Clayton, don't make me do it. You know, please don't make me do it. And then... Billy Clayton is basically gonna, you know, shoot him, but fortunately Doc Holliday shows up and, and fires through the window and, and, and kills him. Come in and get me. Come in and get me. Don't make me do it, boy. Don't make me do it.
White Earp is standing over his body and he just like takes his sheriff's badge off and drops it on the ground and he's like, I'm just done, I've had enough killing. How tragic that was that such a young kid was killed that way. All the Clantons were, uh, were killed in the gunfight. In that movie, 10 years later, with uh, James Garner and Jason Robard Jr., The Hour of the Gun, it goes forward to where uh, Doc Holliday is now in Colorado at a tuberculosis sanitarium and is visited there by Wyatt Earp or James Garner. So it, it might be one that we could do later. It, it's a nice, uh, nice sequel. I, I was reading about all the historical inaccuracies between this film and the real gunfight at the OK Corral. I won't bore everyone by going through those, but there's about a dozen. I mean, it did occur. Well, what are, what are a couple uh, inaccuracies? It says that Wyatt came to Tombstone, Arizona with a common-law wife, whom he later sent away to stay with his family in order to get her away from uh, opiates. And one of these films that we've talked about has that in it. I forget if that's Tombstone or the Kevin Costner movie, Wyatt Earp, where his... Uh, common-law wife was addicted to drugs. Uh, I guess Johnny Ringo was not present at the, was not present at the OK Corral gunfight. Uh, he plays a significant part in that. The actual gunfight took place in a vacant lot behind the OK Corral next to a photography studio, not in the corral itself. I mean, they're not real big things, but uh, as they say, it was a movie. Yeah, it was just a movie. The movie. Something else I thought when that uh, first scene, when uh, Doc Holliday kills that uh, Lee Van Cleef character with the knife. Yes. It reminded me of the Magnificent Seven, because one of those guys in that movie uh, was really good with a knife. Oh, another James, uh, uh, John Sturgis movie. That was James Colburn. Oh, right. That's right. Yep. The, the guy wouldn't leave him alone, so he finally said, all right, we'll do it for real. That was a bad decision on that other guy's part. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> he paid a price. Well, and then also when the one more thing on that when the when the knife went into Lee Van Cleef's chest, it, I don't think it was right over his heart. I don't think that 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 would kill you instantly. Like I think it would it would definitely kill you. But you know, it's it's in the movies. Like when things like that happen, they just fall over instantly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in the script. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right. You probably would have bled to death or something. Um, well, uh, what was your rating of our of our uh, review today? I gave it a 9. I don't think it's quite a 10. Like, there were certain things in it that, you know, I found the gunfight a little bit boring just because I've seen, like, 100 gunfights in different movies, and it, it seemed like another gunfight to me. And there were some parts of it that were a little bit slow. It's a long movie. I mean, it's over two hours long. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's two hours and 12 minutes or something like that. It goes on a little bit long. I gave it, um, yeah, it's, 100, well, it's two hours and two minutes, just a little over two hours. It seems longer than that. I, I give it an eight. Um I really didn't care for the relationship between the Kirk Douglas and Joe Van Fleet character. And um, there were some other things in it that I felt could have, could have been, you know, a little sharper, a little quicker. But I still, I mean, it's a great movie. Well, the reason I get, I, I, I was originally going to be an eight, but then I um, got to the end of the movie and I was imagining you sitting in the theater as the, as the credits roll. And being like, oh my god, I love. I'm gonna go see it again. You know, it kind of had that feeling like you could just go 
see it right after you'd already watched it, kind of like Star Wars when it first came out, where people would get out of the theater, go get back in line and watch it again. Oh, yeah, yes. It, yes. It, it just is so epic, and there's so many different things happening. And, and the, the gunfight, I'm sure, when it first came out was, was great. You know, like it was exciting, and there'd already been a lot of gunfights in different movies. But, um, you know, I, I, I just felt like it was a very entertaining, very well-made movie and the relationship between doc holiday and and um his girlfriend didn't bother me from a from the same place that it was bothering you because i felt like it was in service of the character and uh i think that was kind of their, their way to really show how flawed he was well he was flawed too you know ever since i uh, saw the movie heat in the mid 1990s with uh Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and many others, and that shootout they have with police in downtown Los Angeles near the end of the movie. Oh my all gosh! Yeah, failed by comparison. I still am amazed that they were able to pull that off and make it look like it was actually happening. Remember that? Well, and it was a, it was before the time when they could have done most of that on uh, green screens and with yes. computer stuff. I mean, that was that was intense, and it looked like they'd actually filmed it right there. I, I'm sure they did. So, so every that was time a, I yeah. a gunfight now, I think of that one as kind of the standard. Just like um, in Bullet with uh, with Steve McQueen and that car chase that they have in San Francisco. All car chases. <laughs> <laughs> that one. <laughs> so. Or in McHugh when he's driving around in his uh, Firebird. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> in Seattle. Yeah. So it's a nine. And an eight, those, those are not bad. Um, I mean, yeah, a, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. So, what's up next? Um, I have No that, Way Out, right? Uh, no Way Out from August of 1950 with uh, Richard Widmark, Sidney Poitier, Linda Darnell, and Stephen McNally, and it's very good, uh, very relevant. I'm super excited to see Sidney Poitier. I mean, that guy, he's amazing. I, I may be mistaken, but I believe this was his first film. We can look that up. Through the power of the internet, we can look that up here. No Way Out marked the feature film debut of Sidney Poitier and actress Mildred Joan Smith. Oh my gosh, even better. And then five but, years later, he did Blackboard Jungle, which we have reviewed. Sometime we're going to have to uh, do the one where uh, he and Rod Steiger are, are in the South, and he plays... The Philadelphia Detective in the Heat of the Night. Oh, when did that come out? Let's see here. That's got to be on. Oh, 1967. Yeah. Virgil Tibbs. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Oh, man. That's this tagline. Yeah. Put that on our list. So anyway. So that's up next. Uh, and hey, we forgot, to, we forgot to talk about one thing in um, Christmas Story, which was the scene when Ralphie gets his prized uh gun that he's been asking about so much and uh i i wanted to just circle back to that because i i love the look on the dad's face when yeah. Ralphie finds it you know like that was such a sweet uh thing and and he didn't even tell his wife you know the mom that he was going to do that he just went out and did it and i thought what a cool cool dad to do that for him and didn't he kind of hide it behind the couch or the chair yeah, so they so they'd opened up every single present and they were kind of like all exhausted. And then he says, "Well, hey, wait a minute, what what's that over there behind the the desk?" <laughs> yeah. 
So right. yeah, I, I wanted to mention that because I I listened to our podcast and realized that we completely skipped over that scene that I that I wanted to talk about. That's a sweet moment between the dad and the son. Well, that was fun. That was gunfight at the OK Corral, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you happy movie watching. All right. Well, that was that was close enough. <laughs> <laughs> We've only done 86 of these. You'd think I'd have it down by now. You haven't had enough French press coffee. I'm shoving off, Doc. How are the brothers? Coming along fine. They're going to be all right. Another glass, Joe. I just want you to know I'd have never made it without you. Where are you heading? California. Laura? I don't know. I hope so. She'll be waiting. <coughs> will you listen to me for just once? Will you get up to that hospital in Denver? At this rate, you can't last more than a couple of months. You crazy and give up this winning streak? <laughs> I'll see you around. So long, preacher. Fight at OK Corral. OK Corral. OK Corral. Gunfight at OK Corral. Oh my gosh, I've li- I've listened to so much old time radio, Dad. It's incredible. <laughs> I feel, sometimes I feel I'm in a time warp. I think I, I think I've listened to every Inner Sanctum <laughs> episode and CBS Radio Mystery Mystery Theater. There's over a thousand episodes of that. I think I'm like up to somewhere in the three hundreds. Wow, they did um, that many of those. They did. Uh, yeah, I they did. did a lot. Yeah, they did over a thousand episodes. It's crazy. CBS um, was the one network that continued doing radio shows long after the others, uh, other networks that stopped. And then they brought it back in the 1970s and did more. Yeah, I mean, they did it. They had it every single day. They had another episode come out. I mean, that's an incredible production schedule. Holy smart. I didn't know that. And then CBC in Canada had a, a, a kind of a similar sort of uh, weird tales type radio show in the early 80s and the production quality on those is really really good and the some really scary episodes i mean <laughs> it, there was one that i listened to that i kind of regretted that i listened to because it was so disturbing <laughs> <laughs>
I actually thought about doing a podcast, uh, just reviewing old time radio, like the the best of the best, uh, weird, uh, weird and spooky horror old time radio shows. Oh, there's a lot of them from Inner Sanctum, Lights Out. We could we could do a podcast because there was a, a Monday night radio show every Monday night on CBS Lux Radio Theater, and they would recreate uh, movies, and it was on for uh, I think 20 years, starting in the 30s. And every Monday night when I was a kid, we'd listen to that show in the living room of our house in Lowestown. But it was my dad's favorite radio program. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, there's. Uh, it's interesting too because I also listen to this other podcast where they review uh, horror stories from the early uh, 20th century or late 19th century, and there's a lot of the stories that they picked from those authors that they then turned into radio plays. So um, I've listened to like several episodes of this other podcast where they review the story, like the original story, and then I'll go and listen to the radio dramas that they made out of them. And it's, it's really cool to kind of like connect the dots between like all the stuff that was happening in the early 20th century with uh, these well, stories. I think I saw that on a website. I haven't listened to it though. Yeah. HPPodcraft.com. They have, over 300 episodes that they've done and oh my uh, God. it's like a it's like a it's like a college course on comparative literature from the late 19th and early 20th century uh for horror and weird tales it's really cool we live at a wonderful time when we can listen to all these shows on the internet like back in the 60s and 70s when i wanted to watch or wanted to listen to old-time radio it was really hard to find Oh, for sure, because you'd have to you'd have to find it like on the radio, probably. Yes, there were, I found like in, when we lived in Denver, there was a Sunday uh, two-hour segment on old-time radio, but th- there were very few and far between. Now, I've even got myself uh, linked into a Seattle station, so I can listen to their uh, uh, old-time radio shows on every night. Okay, oh, cool. I has eight eighty has a. Uh, Every every night at eight o'clock has an old time radio or a radio drama. Now on the weekends they have, I think four hours of radio drama Saturday and Sunday night. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that eight, out. Eight, eight, it's on the AM. Uh, they kind of play music from the fifties and sixties, but they do a lot of radio shows. Well, you can, and you're listening to it over the internet, I would imagine. I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I listen to it on my iPhone. Yeah. Cool. The beauty of technology. <laughs> 